Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, the fourth chapter of St. Mark, these words. And he, Jesus, was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the ground, and he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and it grows. How? He himself knows not, for the earth bringeth forth of itself. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Life after people. Perhaps some of you have seen the recent documentary entitled Life After People that's on the Discovery Channel. It asks this intriguing question. It says, what would happen if humans suddenly vanished from planet Earth? What would happen to the world without us? And then in vivid living color, especially if you have high-definition TV, it goes on in fast-frame fashion to show how the days and the months and the years are all abbreviated then into to seconds and minutes on your TV. You know how that flash picture goes. And then it goes to demonstrate how quickly the world as we know it, with all of the structures that man has made, suddenly begins to change rapidly and disintegrate. And at first it seems, and it looks like after humans has, have disappeared, there would be great chaos and there would be great disorganization and destruction as the entire infrastructure of man's creativity falls to pieces, and begins to collapse. And then you take note that suddenly things begin reversing and the earth begins to cover up all that man has made. Bottom line of both the documentary and the book upon which it's based that's entitled The World Without Us by science reporter and journalist Alan Weisman is that the world would quote, and listen to how he puts it, the world would gradually consume man's massive infrastructure and ultimately the earth would heal itself despite humanity's indelible and destructive imprint. Unquote. In essence, Weissman's ultimate conclusion, as far as the world is concerned, as far as nature itself is concerned, man is quite dispensable. It's an intriguing premise. An intriguing premise. The world without us. Life after people. Actually, Scripture is much more positive about the role of we human beings in the history and the composition of the world than Weissman and so many of the green-tinted types in our day are. Scripturally, man is indeed, as it's laid out in Genesis, very clearly in the earliest chapters, man is indeed the crown of God's creation. And all that God made here on planet Earth was made with man in mind. And so this world without man, wouldn't it all be what God intended the world to be? What God created it to be any more than this world with sinful man is what God created the world to be. And that's why God has set out to redeem it. Through his Son, your Savior, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why he set out to redeem it. That's why he set out in Christ to make it new again. 
Behold, I will make all things new, Jesus says. There will be a new heaven, a new earth upon which righteousness dwells. That's why God has done those things, because the world was not made to be without us. Indeed, the world was made to be with us. All that aside, the Discovery Program and Weissman's book boil down to a conclusion with which we at least in part could agree, and that is this that man is not absolutely indispensable. Indeed, when it comes to dispensability, there's only one who is absolutely indispensable. And it's not man. And it's not planet Earth. And it's not the sun, and it's not the solar system, and it's not the cosmic galaxies or the universe. The only dispensable one that there is is God himself. There's the one who is alone, indispensable. Indispensability is not a human attribute. It's not a created attribute. Indispensability is simply and only a divine attribute. Only God is indispensable to the existence of things. Only God indispensable to the operation of things and the functioning of things. Behold He has made all things, and in him, in Christ, St. Paul tells us, all things in this universe hold together by the word of his power. He alone is indispensable. That's why Luther, in explaining the first article of the Apostles' Creed in his small catechism, writes this. Many of you remember it from your catechetical days. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body, my soul, my eyes and ears and all my members, my reason and all my senses and still preserves them, and also clothing and shoes and meat and drink and house and home and wife and children and fields and cattle and all my goods, and that he richly and that he daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and this life. It all comes ultimately from God, who then not only has given it to us, has created it out of his nothingness, but also then who, by his grace, sustains it throughout all of the time of its existence, which for us is eternal. And that's why St. Paul, speaking to the Athenians on the hill called Mars, speaks of God, saying, and note how he puts it, Paul says of God, neither Is he served by human hands? Got that? Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. It's said of God alone. Even the service that man renders to God is not something that he needs. We are indispensable to him, not at all. He indispensable to us, most certainly. And yet how often we think and how often we act as though God needs us, as though we are indispensable to him, as though he just couldn't get along without us, as though 
He couldn't accomplish things in this world without our involvement, without our human ingenuity, without our logical explanation of complex realities in this world, without our creativity, without our administrative planning, without our entertainment-driven techniques by which we would make him marketable to the world that's out there. Oh yes, God needs us. What a smug and a sinfully inflated sense of self-importance we have at times. The dispensable, wanting to be like God, to be indispensable, man daring to make himself indispensable to God, shame on us. Have we so quickly forgotten the words of our Lord? Who remember after the Pharisees complained about the little children and the disciples of the Lord shouting out their hosannas to Christ in the temple? And on the roadside, what was it that Jesus told them? He said, if these were quiet, the stones themselves would cry out. He doesn't need us even to praise him. Interestingly, Martin Luther standing steadfastly against those who had wrongly made the papacy an indispensable human institution for the church, said the church couldn't exist without the papacy. Luther, knowing the wrong of that, developed a profound sense of his own dispensability. In other words, Luther knew how non-essential he really was. And so he once remarked, well, I drink my Wittenberg beer with my friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out and it runs its course. Does this thing without us? You see, for Luther, God had placed limits on what he and all of his reforming friends could do. It wouldn't make any difference how involved and active they would be because God was going to accomplish his purpose with or without them and God was going to accomplish his work in his own way, realizing his God-imposed limits Luther then was set free from all of the pious and that, that popish monkery and works righteousness through which he had once tried to do more than God had ever made him to do or wanted him to do for his own salvation or for the salvation of other people. So now seeing how dispensable he really was, Luther does simply and only what God had called him to do. And that's what Luther sets out to do, only that which God had called him to do. And so what did he do? He simply studies the word of God. And then he steps up into the pulpit and he preaches that word of God. And then cheerfully he steps down from the pulpit. He takes off his robes. He goes home. And he undoubtedly had a glass of his Wittenberg brew, confidence that the word of God would do its mighty work. It would do its work of slaying the proudly obstinate sinner and making that spiritually slain sinner alive again in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he, Luther, was but the bearer of the word of God which bears Christ unto man. And that's how Luther saw himself, the word that would not return unto God empty but would accomplish that for which he had sent it, that word of God which the fourth century church father, St. Jerome, had said, bears Christ to us. In fact, he said, ignorance of Scripture, the Word of God is ignorance of Christ. If you don't know the Scriptures, you're not going to know Jesus Christ, St. Jerome said. And Luther certainly agreed with them. Luther said, Scripture is the crib, the crib in which Christ lieth. Scripture, he said, is the jewel box 
and Christ is the jewel therein. And so you study the scripture and you hear the scripture and you read the scripture because the scripture is what bears Jesus Christ to you. How freeing it was for Luther to know that he was not indispensable to either the salvation of sinners or to the reformation of the church because God alone is and God's word alone is. He didn't have to be constantly busy as though through his busyness he somehow would validate his work and define his mission. God was the one who would be busy working through the word that he, Luther, was given to preach and to teach and to share. Don't mistake what I've said, Luther indeed was busy, reading, writing, preaching, fighting for the gospel at every turn. But Luther knew that ultimately it wasn't him. Ultimately, it was the indispensable word of God that bears Christ to us, and that word would ultimately do its work. A simple but a confident faith in the Word of God, doing its work as God promised it would do, without any one of us being indispensable to the process. I wonder if there hasn't been a real loss of confidence in the power of that simple Word of God in our day. A contemporary writer that I admire speaks of the lack of confidence in the church of our day. He puts it this way, and beautifully so. He says, I'm afraid that the church today has lost much of her confidence. We're, we're busier than ever. We're working harder than ever. We're running around here and there more than ever with beeper on the belt, with cell phone close to our ears, management by crisis. Just like the government, and how timely these words are, though they were written some time ago, they're just about prophetic. Just like the government, everything seems to be in a crisis mode in the church today. We have a crisis in missions, a crisis in catechesis, in rural churches, in city churches, in youth. One crisis after another as the church runs from one gimmick to the other to address those crises. One slogan to another. One program to the next. There are the continual barrages to extend the kingdom, to grow the kingdom, to further the kingdom. And in all of our busyness of kingdom building, We've forgotten what Luther taught us in his explanation of the petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, when he said that, quote, The kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer and by itself. So beautifully said. And so much like Luther, who by God's grace got it absolutely right when he said, The church does not make the Word of God. The Word of God makes the church. And that's the very point, my friends, of the parable of our text for today. The parable of the, the seed that grows secretly. The secret sower simply sows the seed in the earth and that's it. That's all he does. He scatters the seed. Sowing seed in Jesus' day didn't take a lot of horticultural training. You just went out there and you would sow the seed. You didn't have to be a professional horticulturalist to be a farmer back in Jesus' day. You didn't have to have a degree in soil management or in soil sciences or whatever else they have degrees in today. In fact, remember the other parable about the seed and the sower that Jesus told? In that parable, the sower didn't even pay any attention to the kind of soil upon which he threw the seed. 
Some of it was hard, some of it rocky. He just went out and he scattered the seed wherever he had opportunity to scatter, and some of it fell on good soil and some of it didn't. Just take some seed and scatter it, let it land where it lands. All he concerns himself with is the scattering of that seed. And then after sowing the seed, what does our text say that the sower would do? Well, then he goes about his daily tasks and his vocation as a husband, a father, mother, a wife, son or daughter, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, whatever he might be, he goes about his daily vocation and his duties and his routine. He sleeps and he rises. He goes to the store. He makes chamber music. He fixes dinner. If he's a Lutheran, he probably has that brew that Luther spoke of. And all the while, the seed that he has sown in the ground sprouts. And it does what God has made it to do. And the farmer, he hasn't the slightest idea how it all happened, except that God's word caused it to be so. It happens just about automatically. In fact, you know what's interesting is that very word, automatic, is in our text for today. Where it says in our text, the last line, the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself. The word in the Greek for of itself is atom, automate, from which we get the word automatic. Automate, automatic. It means of its own accord. It just happens. It just springs forth. God made it to happen that way, to spring forth automatically without any poking on our part or prodding on our part. The soil with its seed in it simply produces fruit, first the blade, then the ear, then the kernel of, of grain in the ear, and when the grain is ripe, the harvest, all of it just happens automatically because of the power of the word that's working in it. Just a couple of days ago, I went to an area nursery buying and to buy there an, an expensive little tree that I then bought an expensive little pot to put in. And after receiving expert advice on how to plant it, I somewhat jokingly said to the horticulturalist that it was advising me at Yamagamis, now, now this is guaranteed to grow, isn't it? And to my surprise, she said, oh yes, if it doesn't bring it back, we'll, we'll replace the thing. Well, I planted it late yesterday afternoon, and I checked this morning, and it's still growing. So Yamagamis is still safe. Horticulturally challenged that I am, the best thing for the little tree is that I simply put it in the pot, in the spot where I was told to put it, and then just leave it alone and let it be. God alone can say, let there be a tree. Sometimes for us it's best simply to say, just let the tree be. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Think about a seed that's in the ground. What would happen to a seed if after planting the seed in the soil you went back day after day and you dug the seed up? just to check it to see how it was doing. It would never grow. It would never do what it was intended to do if you dug it up every time you'd go and look at it. No, you leave it in the ground and you let God do with it what he will do automate, that he will do automatically. And that's the way it is with the kingdom of God as well. I step up here in the pulpit and I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified to the promised seed of Abraham who by the Spirit of God was placed into the hearts and the faith of the Old Testament saints and then by the power of that same Spirit of God is cast 
into human flesh in Nazareth and miraculously sprouts in Bethlehem and grows in Nazareth to assume the sins of all the world unto himself outside of Jerusalem, where upon a cross bearing the sins of humanity once and for all, he dies and he is placed like a seed into the ground and the seed of God, sown then in the earth the Lord Jesus Christ himself only to rise again that he might bear much fruit, which you are and I am. Here we are, the harvest of God, being gathered into the church through holy baptism, God's work, baptism into Christ from around the world onto the end of the age when Christ will visibly appear again to gather his harvest home unto himself. And it all happens simply because of that all-powerful Word of God doing its saving work among us. Apart from Christ and apart from his means of grace, it would not happen. Apart from Christ and his Word and sacraments, we would only get in the way of what God alone can do. He, automate, of his own accord, automatically, without any merit or without any worthiness on our part or any prompting on our part or any poking on our part or any cooperation, even proactive cooperation on our part, he, without any help on our part, does exactly what he was sent by God the Father to do. He saves us of his own accord, by his own work, and only his, to Christ alone, be all the glory, and that's how the Word of God works, automate, automatically. All that we've been called to do is to sow it, to scatter it through His Word and His sacraments, and God will grow it. And so that's the call for us. Simply leave here today, sow it. Scatter the Word of Christ in Him crucified wherever you will, in the soil of family, over the fence, the backyard at home with your neighbor and the soil of friendship and the gritty ground of business, wherever you are, whatever you do, simply sow it, the word of Christ and him crucified because it alone is indispensable. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.